Welcome all. Thanks for joining me on this webinar this evening. Get my presentation up to speed. If you haven't already, get your playbooks out and at the ready. I'm going to throw heaps of content at you all this evening, guys, and really keen to get stuck into some topics that I'm really, really passionate about and some like-minded participants with us all this evening as well. So really eager to see what questions you have at the end. So we'll spend as much time as we need with your Q&As um, at the end, guys. So feel free to throw through, throw me any questions and I'll do my best to, to answer them. If I can't answer them tonight because it's out of my knowledge, out of my depth, then I'll, I'll do my best research and, and ask those that I'm networked with and see if we can find an answer. But yeah, thank you for joining me. If you haven't got the playbook or um, you haven't downloaded it in that email, it's the same email that you use to get onto this Zoom meeting. So there's an attached PDF form. Um, you can print it out or uh, fill it out any way you can. I want to make sure this presentation is interactive. So we'll go through these topics, mindset, nutrition and sleep. Uh, and then finish off with strength and power work for football and then conditioning. I'm a big believer that athletic development in most cases for most athletes, uh, and I've certainly noticed this anecdotally, does take time and it does differ to skill development in the sense that we have to really respect rest and recovery when trying to improve athletes' aerobic capacity, but um, more importantly, their power um, capacity, so speed, um, there's only so much sprint training and volume that an athlete can handle in a given week. So making sure that we get that balance right between the right amount of workload and, and the right amount of recovery is really important. I know overload type injury are thrown around a lot and that's feedback that the body is overloaded. The question is, is it a matter of the lifestyle for the athlete, their best or sleep and recovery methodologies, or is it just, just too much work for that athlete and being too demanding? So that can happen. Um, when the philosophy is we need to fast track athlete development as fast as possible and the, the demands are, are too high for the athletes to handle. Uh, and that's where we can see your hamstring strains, calf injuries, tendinopathies and the like. So personally and through the mentors that I've been lucky enough to be under, we certainly believe that recovery and rest is, is a really important recipe when it comes to athlete development and that Patience is really important to instill, whether you're an athlete watching this or for coaches, physios and the like, being able to develop trust and have a strong rapport with the athletes that more isn't always better, particularly with younger athletes. So, try and let. so on that note, in the fact that time is important, we want to make sure that the athletes are urgent though and really strong with their drive and doing everything they can to get better. So it's not a matter of that we're not working hard. Working hard is really, really important. I think this, the iceberg theory is a really good visual for athletes and coaches to have in performance in that your tip of the iceberg, your potential won't be realized if there's not a mountain of work underneath. And that's where I like to go to a 765 model. So in a performance slump, it's looking at what you did over the last seven days, which can be quite common. It might be a trend in your game that's letting you down. And therefore, what is your training and lifestyle look like for the last six months what can we change there and if it's a capacity issue what does the last five years look like so you might have had a really good off season but your last five off seasons have been really poor it's not going to all just happen because you've just had a really good off season so 
I think this is a good philosophy to look at. It's, it's a good visual for athletes and coaches thinking about the iceberg theory of success. What, when you do reach your goals, whether it be you get drafted or you see a teammate get drafted, you win a grand final, like watching the Richmond team, and they're probably a good testament to it. It doesn't just happen uh, overnight. It's been a mountain of work and they've had failure along the way and a failure along the way and a lot of learning. And that's why I'm really keen to spend the first half of the presentation on lifestyle areas because I think if you're working in strength and conditioning, working with teams, ultimately everyone's there to, to improve performance, number one. And we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can and we're controlling all the controllables. And I think lifestyle is an area that certainly at my time at Hawthorne was heavily focused on what, what are the athletes doing away from the club. And if we can impact and influence that, then you're going to get a strong competitive advantage. Whereas the training side of things, particularly in elite format, everyone's relatively doing the same amount of training. It's all in front of us. It's all seen like the top of this top of the iceberg. It's all in front of us. It's, so what are the athletes think that's unseen? What are they eating? How are they sleeping? What's their mental and physical recovery like away from the club? So yeah, this iceberg theory to success is really relevant, I think, to football preparation. And just a reminder with that 7-6 model, 7-6-5, that's just a number that I've plucked out. I've heard other coaches talk about it, 6-6-6. What does your last six days look like? What does your last six months look like? What does your last six years look like? You could do 5-5-5, whatever with you. Seven works for me because it's seven days of the week. Um, so it's respecting the lighter recovery days as well because that might be, wasn't that great? Because what you, you were so obsessed with the game, even time away from the club, you were obsessing about either watching your videotapes of your performance or whatever it might be, you, you might not have actually mentally recovered from the previous game and that's transferred into the next game. So that's why I've gone with seven and then obviously six months, half the year, and then five years is a, a chronic time that sort of see with developing athletes, if they're on a, a good program, they've been sticking to a good lifestyle routine that you should see pretty good results over five years. I'm a strong believer that the lifestyle is harder than the training. Good emphasis from all involved at, at the footy club. And if Whether it be a player, the leaders driving the lifestyle side of things, the coaches, the conditioning guys, the guys in the gym, the physios, if everyone's sort of beating the same message, then it then it will, will be a stronger message, will be more consistent and, and the more people buying into it, the, the better results you'll get. And the reason why I think it is harder is because it's unseen. So going back to that iceberg sort of visual, it's the stuff that's underneath the water. It's usually doing it by yourself, food preparation, what time you're getting to sleep, all the things that if you don't have strong self-awareness uh, and a strong education around what's optimal and what's not, you can slip into pretty bad habits. Uh, and you could definitely argue that like overload type injuries that I talked about before, is it overload or is it just under-recovered? You've heard before, but I think that the beauty of that philosophy is that the lifestyle side of things Although there are some really fancy gadgets out there, all the basics work really well. Roger Federer, LeBron James, you know, sleeping over 10 hours at night and a couple of hours of naps. There's no reason that a community-based athlete can't take majority of the learning from that and, and apply that to their routine. And I think it's really important because it's it, you're instilling a philosophy of what are you doing when you're away from the club? Don't just rely on it's just going to happen if you if you're made it to an AFL level or you've made it to a VFL level or you're a coach that's in a high environment, you've still got to be working really hard to upskill yourself away from that environment. So we're going to, this will be our first activity of the evening. So it's going to be a purpose statement and I've broken it down to, so for the athletes first and then we'll do the staff. 
what do I do? This is just an example. If you're an athlete watching this, what do you do? What's your sport? Just write that down in your playbook in the notes section. Who do you do it for? What do, you, what do I or they, if, if you're doing it, need to realize? And how do they change? And you bring those words together. So I play football for myself. I need to realize strong belief, care for each other. And if we're doing it for our teammates, and we need to care for each other rather than what's creating a purpose statement, either for the individual, for the team. For the coach, it looks a little bit differently because obviously we're here generally more to, to serve. So what do you do? You might see yourself as you're there to help. You might be there to inspire. You might be there to teach. You might be there to lead. So for example, for me, I'd very much see myself as someone's there to teach. That would be my, I feel like that's something that comes naturally to me and a passion of mine is to teach. Who do I do it for? People that are usually stuck. So maybe they're stuck with injuries. They might be stuck with a performance inconsistency whether that be from a physical from conditioning or it might be a bit of mental so they get a bit more confidence by getting stronger and and having a strong off season so usually they do it for people that are stuck what do they need to realize generally speaking they just need to recognize their potential it comes the the confidence and awareness of finding their confidence give you guys another minute to sit with that welcome to those who just joined us sorry it was a bit hard to connect you in while we're in the presentation so we're just giving everyone 30 more seconds to go through this purpose statement if you for the five that just joined us just taking this activity here so if you're an athlete you're at the top and if for the for the staff in this presentation you're at the bottom there so writing down your purpose statement okay throughout the presentation uh, i've created some benchmarks it's important to note I've, although i've referenced research majority of of these benchmarks are simply there to, to motivate athletes to strive to be better. They're not there in, in a sense that AFL players are doing all those all the things that I've got throughout the pres- presentation at that level. It's more just what what's an elite way that you can be sleeping as an athlete? What's an elite way that you can be lifting in the gym? What's an elite way that you your 2K time trial times? So it's more benchmarks. It's more there for as a bit of a character dangle to developing athletes, something they can strive for not only to improve themselves over the next seven days, but influence that next six months. So it might be, for instance, an athlete's 2K time trial going by my rankings is at a general pop level. And they've identified that's an area that's really a game and they want to improve it. And their goal in the next six months is to get it to a community level. But then in the next five years, they want their 2K time trial to be at an AFL level. So it's simply there as a motivator. I've done it with nutrition, sleep, the mental side of things so mindset as well as mental recovery um, and the exercises are there just simply to motivate it and build awareness on areas that you might be needing to spend more time on for athletes for the coaches and, and staff watching sort of i guess explain some areas that i prioritize with my programming and my philosophy con- whether i'm consulting athletes via zoom or when i'm working with them face to face these are the areas that I'm um, working towards in improving their training as well as their lifestyle. So we'll start off with mindset for today's presentation. And if you haven't heard uh, of Ben Crow before, he did a leadership program at Hawthorne. That's where I briefly met him. And he has worked with the Richmond Tigers, Ash Barty. Previously, he was working at Nike. So he's, had, he's got a great resume and he is a leadership coach. So he works with a lot of whether it be CEOs in in big companies or individual and team-based athletes, he usually will work with the leaders uh, of those groups. And he has a lot of strong messages around 
um, common human traits, and he is really, really good. For those that um, are following the Dylan Buckley podcast, he was he was interviewed on that. It's definitely worth a watch. I think he's someone that really excels in this area, uh, and he's got quite a modern alternative approach to mindset. And if you're interested in getting a framework and, and developing this area, I did his present or his webinar a month ago and it was it blew me away. It was amazing. I know there was a thousand people on there from people all over the world. And yeah, his track record, all the athletes is quite phenomenal and definitely worthwhile looking into. Some of the key points that I've taken away from his work is that more or less we seem to have athletes that will have a tendency to go towards either the overthinkers and the overworkers. So guys that love to stay busy, they love work, they generally need to be pulled back for the staff out there. So coaches and physios and the like, these are the guys that are always wanting more. They're always knocking on your door. How do they can get, get better? But at times when either, either they're in a form slump or things just aren't quite working for them, or maybe it might be an injury, whatever it might be, their work ethically work against them. So it's being able to understand that um, recovery and rest is really important and that you know, being patient is really important. And one message that I got from from Ben Crow that he's really strong on is that high elite athletes are constantly striving to be better. And sometimes that could be coming from an insecurity that they're not enough. So he's really, really strong on um, making sure, particularly when you're in low, going through a phase of low confidence, whether it be from form or whatever it might be, making sure that you, you're not attaching your, your self-worth to your performance, but you're separating that and being really strong on that you are enough. And that's, I think, a really, really important message, not only for athletes, but anyone really, to have that message that you are, you are enough and to detach your work or your sport from um, your personality. Just because you had a bad game doesn't mean you're a bad person. Then we've got the other end of the spectrum, so laid back, lazy athletes. So for these guys, it might be they're quite uh, like the cool cats, relaxed, easygoing, and for them it's a matter of, making sure almost the opposite to the overthinkers and overworkers. We need to build routine with these guys, make sure that there's structure, particularly in their off-season and pre-season. If there's not structure or routine, then potentially they can not do self-harm, but they can lose a lot of the work that they have built up over their time while being a football club. So structure and routine is really, really important to be able to keep these guys developing. And one area that connects quite well and might resonate with these guys is embrace your weird so making sure that you understand that athletes, you know, to feel that psychological safety that they can be whoever they want to be in, in the environment and to embrace it and, and really feel comfortable that everyone is different and to bring that um, to the workplace or to the, to the football club and, and really sort of celebrate everyone's individual um, quirks. Sometimes that can make uh, the athlete feel more motivated and, and as if they will belong to that place. And that can feel more motivated to uh, get to work and, and put in just as much time as as the rest of their as the athletes around them. So understanding what makes people tick is really really important, uh, and understanding the individual differences within each athlete. And you, you may go through a period where some athletes are so determined, and they used to be quite laid back, but now they're a really really hard worker. So it's not just be pigeonholing athletes it's just having an awareness on okay where do where do i think if, if you're a coach uh, conditioning guy where do i think this guy sits oh, i think he, he might be quite laid back he's quite relaxed he might need some structure so putting some structure in place or for the overworkers and the overthinkers it's making sure they know that they are enough and the work that they are doing is definitely going to 
contribute to success. In fact, they actually are doing so much that respect rest and days off and things, just understanding how to individually tweak the program. So it's important to understand the basics of what's going on with the human body, that we can pick up stress. And for all those that, are, that own a Garmin watch, it, it now like watches, uh, which is unbelievable, I now have heart rate variability. And this is something that I've really enjoyed using over the last five years. Elite HRV, which is an American company, and I've found tracking myself and with athletes, monitoring elite heart rate variability each morning for a morning readiness scale was really, really good at developing the impact that poor lifestyle can have, whether it be bad sleeping habits, highly stressful periods, might be exam period, fight with friends or, or partners. So it, it, HRV, I think, is building the awareness on the impact that stress can have on the body. And this graph, which is just something I've drawn up, you've got your tissue growth, which is at nighttime, probably when the athlete's in deep sleep, they've hit their peak of testosterone. It's just before midnight. Cortisol will inversely be at an all-time low for that period of the day. Although when they are in a highly stressful period, it might be a football match, it be they just got sacked from their job, it might be public, it might be anything that's causing um, stress to that body where cortisol is going to be released to be able to cope with that acute level of stress. Inversely, for whatever reason, testosterone goes down. The science has, has proven, and obviously as athletes, we don't want testosterone to be high all the time, but the athletes would be able to be functioning as per normal, and that wouldn't be healthy. But if we're constantly chronically stressed over time and the body is constantly releasing cortisol day after day after day, and we don't have the mental emotional coping strategies to deal with that stress quickly, then we can see a shutdown in, in, and some chronic change hormonally. So testosterone as well as growth hormone can be quite low. Fatigue, overload type injuries, motivation right down, poor sleep, the list goes on. So um, not necessarily saying cortisol is bad, but we just need to respect stress. This is the message of this slide, and particularly mental and emotional stress. Uh, and it's probably something that the male population doesn't do well enough. It's an area that for, for proving recovery, and also improving athletic development can definitely get a competitive edge. And it's an area that's probably developed or talked about enough. So respecting the mental and emotional side of a football match. So that can be putting, you know, you might change your cool down routine depending on a really bad loss rather than doing the usual ice bath routine that, you know, the players hate. It might just be a bit of a debrief and, and let the players sort of chat about what just happened. Obviously it was an emotional time for them and it's quite raw so getting them to do something that they hate might not be the smartest thing as the conditioning guy after it and you just got to be able to read the room and, and make those calls on the fly sometimes with your group to make sure you're making the right decisions for that this slides on perspective so if i reference back to ben crow he's really strong on this and the visual i like to draw on when i find that my outlook in life or, or maybe an athlete's outlook on life that I'm working with is not serving them. Is the the glass is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? And we want to try and look at look at life or look at challenges in life as the glass is half full. So being optimistic is really really important, and it's it has a flow on effect from that slide that I was talking about before with with cortisol. If we're perceiving a situation to be a lot worse than it actually is, we might be releasing a lot higher levels of cortisol than we than we might not need to. And that's going to affect our cognitive function. It's going to affect our ability to train well and ultimately prepare for. So one way for the coaches and staff watching it, we can lead in this front. It's definitely a controllable. It's an area that we practice as well, I believe. 
Uh, and I do think it has a strong influence on, especially when you're in season mode, what are we looking at as a group? Are we looking at the loss as an area that we can learn and get better as a team and as a club? Or is it an area that we're, we're blaming others, pointing the finger and, and getting negative on performance? And as a general quote resonates with philosophy quite well, is the world happened for us, not to us. A powerful to have. It installs in the athletes and that you have control and you think that's really mantra so to speak, when striving towards book. This is our first benchmark slide, talking about a little earlier for those that missed my intro to this. So this is, these are a, it's a benchmark system that I've created where in the red, you've got a general population. So an area that thoughts, your own personal internal dialogue might be an issue for yourself. And this is an area that you might want to, or you've identified that you want to improve. So in your playbook, there's a couple of questions around vulnerability, uh, whether you see it as a, embrace it as a strength or a weakness. And this is another thing that Ben Crow is really strong on for culture and club culture towards performance. And one area that both Port Adelaide and Richmond do successful clubs recently through the Resilience Project or, or Ben Crow, they've really embraced vulnerability getting in and same my time at Hawthorne players would, would get up in front of the whole club and, and talk about an area of their life that was the most challenging for them. And that's an area that depending on how you respond to that stressful period, it could be post-traumatic gro- um, growth or it can be post-traumatic stress. And for, for a lot of these athletes and for the culture, we want to try and look at those challenging times as an area that you had the most amount of growth. Uh, and that's where the perception and the outlook can be really, really powerful because ultimately it comes down to your response to stress, really, really important in a performance format. So for this exercise, reflect on your given on a given week. It might just be the week that's just passed, the last week, and then go through the mind and body connection area and just rank where you sit personally in this area. And this is not something I'm going to ask anyone to to talk about at the end in the Q&A. This is just a personal diary exercise. So write down where you sit, your thoughts, where you sit with your awareness, what's your coping strategies like with respects to emotional health, what, how do you react to stressful situations, and what's your mindset like. There's another 30 seconds to run through that. Sorry, Ethan, it, it's quite hard to actually let you, let you on, mate, because for some reason my mouse isn't showing up, so sometimes it's hard to admit you, and I, don't, I didn't want to block you out. <laughs> I know you were trying to get on for the last five minutes. You made it. I'll record it as well. Everyone will get the recording so you can watch last 10 seconds, guys. And the key with these exercises when I'm working with an athlete is not to uh, overwhelm them. You definitely, at a time in your journey, you may rank in the general pop area for each one, and that's completely fine. It just might mean that the mindset area of your um, athlete development is the most important area that we believe to, to get the most return for effort and investing in a sports psychologist might be so helpful to do help with your journey and help with this area. So it's 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 not just the the goal to be we want to be at an AFL level with all of this stuff. It's just to be able to build awareness on what areas do I need to focus on most to get a return for. So we're going to move into nutrition. So Simone Austin, for those that don't know her, she's a sports dietitian. Uh, she wrote a book called Eating Like an Athlete, and I recently interviewed her on my Instagram page. And we discussed all things around sports nutrition over her 25 year, and it was really, really insightful. So for those that are on Instagram, feel free to check out my IGTV area. And that was just last Wednesday, so it should be the first one that pops up. 
and she's worked with the Australian cricket team during the Ashes and World Cup. She's worked with Melbourne Storm for a couple of premierships. She was involved with Hawthorne's three-peat, Melbourne City and Western Bulldogs. And uh, yeah, so she's worked with elite athletes in, in all different sports at all different levels. And she's she really, really good at focusing on the simple and most effective things that athletes need to focus on. And I think her system's really, really effective. And I got to see firsthand because she was, she worked with first and second year guys at the Hawks, teaching them how to cook, which is for her and a really important craft that, that athletes, when they're first moving out of home, learn to cook. And her aim was to be able to teach them three main meals that they can make at a good level within the first month or two of working with her. And then from there, everything else was a bit of a bonus. But if at least they had those three nutritious meals down pat, then they were much more likely to eat at home and eat locally sourced good food that they know what's going into their body opposed to just eating out all the time. So that was an area that she was really focused on as well as making sure they enjoy the process of food prep as well as cooking and enjoying the food that you eat. So she's someone to look into if you're interested in nutrition Something that was strong at a strong on, sorry, at the Hawks was avoiding, especially with the developing players, avoiding the easy options. Fitness industry can definitely promote things a lot due to the, the money that can be made from selling protein bars and, and protein powders. So it's really important that we instill on the guys that we don't want to focus on the easy options, which is eating out, getting takeaway food, as well as just protein powders and protein bars. Protein powder definitely has a place and that was the one supplement that was used at Hawthorne but it was definitely there as a top-up not so much to replace meals and that was a really important message for the guys and it was around as a quote from Simone supplements not make up for your poor lifestyle so that was a strong message it was definitely something that surprised me to be honest at the start of my time at the Hawks because I was someone that had used creatine before used amino acids working in gyms and things like that. I was relatively conditioned to that type of philosophy that they had a place, but I have now flipped to the other side where I can see the value in really focusing on the simple things, eating plenty of vegetables, eating plenty of fruit, making sure that the quality of produce is at the, at the highest level. So where you're sourcing your, 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 your meat from, can you improve that? Can you get it from a fish market or a local market or farmer's market? And yeah, focusing on you know taking how to shop it's for a lot of these guys the first time that they've moved out of home. So don't teach them how to cook and and how to go grocery shopping. Then they're going to be left to make their own decisions. And that more often than not, when you're trying to find your way, it might be the easiest option when you're yeah you know, finding your way in life. So learning how to cook was really a huge strong emphasis in the program. First and second year players had a cooking class once a week for majority of, of pre-season and then maintained it throughout the season. So that sort of speaks volume it was. Food diary, uh, this is something that I like to do when working with, it, uh, with an athlete for the first time. I think it builds awareness for the athlete on their habits. So not only gives you plenty of information, I tend now to more steer towards photos um, because I've got a lot more information than writing it down, but just doing a, a week of tracking what's going in both from a food standpoint as well as hydration, builds awareness around the athlete's nutrition as well as gives you as the coach, gives you an insight on how they're eating and do they need more professional advice or maybe an extra one-on-one session with the sports dietitian at the club or if you're working privately in the private sector, maybe a sports dietitian would be someone that could be really helpful for them. And one philosophy that we have because we know that changing nutrition is a lot harder than training your training that your 
ability to admit to change really was a, a, a testament to an athlete's willingness to succeed. So we sort of tried to change the, the perception that food and dieting and these sort of things, rather, rather than following a rigid plan, we felt created athletes eating like robots, or unless they had a plan and a recipe in front of them, uh, they didn't know what to do. So Simone was really strong on teaching them the skills on how to cook, how to enjoy your food, uh, and then they can get creative with it and mix it up and, and enjoy that process. And they, they know what to buy. They know about farmer's markets. They're exposed to all these things. So you can enjoy the process while also improve quality intake. And one measure that we used to, to see how the athletes were going was, was the classic skin faults, way that the athlete can reflect how, how they're going in this space and, and how strict their nutrition. So same deal. We'll spend three minutes here. Just go through, if you're an athlete, your own routine and what you do. If you've done a food diary before, uh, try and think back to what a typical week looks like for you. And it's important that, that these metrics are all over a given week, what your daily average is or, or what your uptake might be over a week, particularly with vegetables. So go through one area at a time, one section at a time, sorry, focusing it, starting with the quality in your, in your playbook, just right in the notes section where you sit for quality. Is it general pop, community or state level? <laughs> for the coaches and staff, feel free to um, just take notes on that. On these general sections, as I mentioned earlier, this, these are my benchmarks to sort of strive towards taking an athlete from, they might be at a community level with their produce quality. How can we get them to a state level six months? Really eager to make change. It might be over the next seven days. Okay, so to wrap up nutrition, so main aim is to try and improve the quality of your ingredients that are at your home. Majority of the time, athletes, the full-time athletes will be eating either at the club or at home. So if we're going to what's at home, at least 80% of the nutrients that they're getting is going to be at a good level. Drinking plenty of water, this is really, really important, but not just from a quantity point of view, but also having awareness around the temperature of the day, what type of training session it is, and to drip feed your hydration throughout the whole day, particularly first thing in the morning. So you're breaking that fast as well as leading up to training sessions and, and during training sessions and post. Lim limiting your sugary foods and drinks. That's a simple one. And then also limiting the processed foods. This is a big one. Try and focus on breakfast in this space. So steering clear of, of packaged foods like cereals as best we can first thing in the morning and moving towards sort of muesli and oats or eggs or smoothies. And then getting the vitamins and minerals from foods rather than supplements. Big on was adding as much color to your meal as you can from real food. So like the processed foods will be typically low in, in colour. There might just be one or two colours. We're adding in dark leafy greens with eggs and a protein and some sort of meat product, uh, a carbohydrate like sweet potato. You're suddenly getting a lot more colour into your food. So that's, that was a simple one, a really effective one for athletes to think about front of mind. How can I add more colour to meal? Might be adding in a trail mix, fruit, chopped up fruit. So that was a really good philosophy to have. And then it's really, really important that it, it's not that like robot rigid way of eating. Um, we're following an, a rigid diet plan. It's just focusing on um, keeping food interesting, making sure that you're not bored of it. So you have a strong appetite for it. Yeah. Okay, moving over to sleep. So the expert I chose in this area was Matthew Walker neuroscientist and, and studied neuroscience sorry, and psychology. His book, Why We Sleep is a Ripper, so an interesting read. We need to learn more about sleep. Walker's book, I love on sleep, and I think he has been on someone on podcasts as well. 
So where sleep fits in, it's our number one for recovery. We want to focus on making sure that we're training hard, but then we're recovering really hard as well. So getting in that quality sleep. And just like with Simone's thing with nutrition, where it's trying to add in as much color as possible, one area with athletes is, is being aware that there's there's times that really challenge their time to get to sleep. So it might be for your tennis fans, uh, footballers might begin to go into the Australian Open. So that's that can be really late nights at times. So that, and I think that's around sort of January, February, where their training loads are at a peak at their highest point. So that could be something that's really important to be aware of as a coach. And this is a good little mantra that we run by um, for the guys, particularly the ones that love like gaming and, and playing PlayStation late at night and into bad habits. Never stay up late for something that wouldn't be worth getting up early for. You want to have fun at mind when you, it's around that 9, 30, 10 o'clock where you normally should be winding down. You've got that decision to make and that a self-awareness picks up. Having this front of mind can help steer you in the right direction. Is it something that you'd wake up? 4, 5 a.m., 4, and for majority of the time it might not be. But it also gives you a flip side if there's – it gives you a bit of license if it's something like a really important event, like a family's birthday, and something that really means a lot to you, potentially would wake up early for, and then therefore you might sacrifice some sleep tickets for that activity because it means so much to you. So it's got to go both ways. I'm sure everyone knows the benefits of sleep, but these are just some of the big ones. So faster reaction times equals uh, fewer mistakes on the field – Obviously, football is a tactical, technical, dominant, competitive sport. So being being able to react fast is very, very important. If you're not able to react well, then you're going to be more likely to put your body into compromised positions and therefore contact injuries might be at a higher risk, landing injuries might be at a higher risk, or your body might be not well recovered as well as it could be going into the game and therefore a soft tissue injury could be at a higher risk. So sleep is, is so closely connected to your mental and physical health if there was a tablet that you could take that gave you the benefits of a quality night's sleep it would be the the best selling business out there in the world so it's something that we need to respect really really highly both sides both the performance side of it and like the elite athletes like your roger Federer and lebron james are really well known for doing that sleeping up to 12 hours during really competitive phases like nba finals or grand slams and breaking it up with 10 hours at night and, and two hours of of naps throughout the day but also the flip side if maybe a player has just had their first child and sleeps out of whack for a couple of months being able to respect that and, and undershoot their training load knowing that they're going to be having consistent sleep is a really important thing to do we don't want to just keep training the same intensity the same volume be respecting the fact that sleep has such a strong impact on the body and a better overall performance so same deal here note down where you sit in terms of sleep Something that's really common in a wellness, footy clubs will, will have a wellness questionnaire and, and probably sleep is the one that needs to be educated the most, I think, when you rate sleep out of 10. The most common thing that I've noticed is, especially with the younger athletes that might, which is fair enough, rate sleep just purely by duration. So if they slept eight hours, they'd give that a 10 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10, but maybe they might have woken up four times throughout the night uh, and they actually felt pretty lethargic when they woke up. So it's not all about duration. And that's something Matthew Walker was really big on, the quality of sleep, how much deep sleep, REM sleep you're having is far more important than the actual quality, uh, quantity, sorry. So we want to focus on preparing yourself and finding a routine that is going to prepare yourself for a successful night of sleep. And that's where it's for athletes, they respond very, very well to routine. So having your, if you're traveling on the road, bringing a pillow with you so it's a familiar feel 
same same pillow is really really important when you're on the road having your same wind down period where it might be for some it's having a distraction like watching netflix for some it might be like the overthinkers it might be winding themselves down by reading a, a book or meditating especially leading up to an important game where the anxiety is high so yeah being able to distinguish what what the tendencies are with the athletes for for maybe your more relaxed types lazier athletes they might just sleep all the way through when they've got a late game and that's going to feel really lethargic because they'll have like almost a sleep hangover if they sleep for too long and out of their normal structure so making sure you're having a wake-up time for them so individual differences will vary but ultimately we want to prioritize things like how many hours over the week are you getting before midnight and that's really important for bringing your cortisol down getting your deep sleep in and deep sleep our testosterone growth hormone hit their peak for that 24-hour cycle so that's really important and it that's an easy sell for an athlete as well because they'll be aware of the, the power that testosterone growth have. So knowing that they've hit their ceiling for that for that day, that 24-hour cycle, by getting to sleep well before a good carrot to educate important sleep is midnight, restlessness. So for the athletes watching this presentation, you may have witnessed restlessness increases leading up to game day and, and sometimes um, we can make things harder for ourselves we'll, we'll, you know the night before game day we think okay I'm going to get my sleep quantity up so I'm going to go to sleep an hour before I normally do but because the body is conditioned and not only took from our routine but also with circadian rhythm if, if you're going to sleep suddenly at nine o'clock and you normally go to sleep at 10 your body won't probably won't be in a state where it's ready and relaxed to get to sleep so something that sleep experts recommend with elite athletes is sleep banking sleep an extra 30 minutes earlier throughout the week. If you normally go to sleep at 10.30, leading up to that game throughout the weekdays, you go to sleep at 10. And then the night before the game, you actually go 30 minutes after what you've been currently doing during sleep banking. So you go back to sleep at your 10.30. And by that time, you've been so used to getting to sleep at 10, you, you'll hit the pillow and more, more often than not, the athlete just falls straight to sleep. It's the aim, trying to get to sleep in 30 minutes into that deep sleep. And that can sound a little bit counterintuitive. Normally you'd think, oh, I'd want to go to sleep earlier than up before. Dealing with the psychology of the of the game, make sure that you when you hit the bed, you're not just staring at the, the ceiling and thinking about, oh, sleep's really important for me. This is stressful and I'm not falling asleep and find yourself into a bit of a rut, which is definitely something that I've found over my time that athletes have found them in, particularly come finals in really important games. And then the last one there is, is duration. It's obviously important. And I've actually really learned this through being a, a father of my new father, sorry, a new parent the last year and a half. It amazes me how much my son, sleep, how much longer he'll sleep during his growth periods. And if, you know, athletes applied a similar model, anyone that wants high performance, if we applied the same model as babies do um, with sleep, that when we're going through higher training loads, we add in a bit more sleep and a bit more quality sleep, be onto a good thing in your, in your athlete development will will um, realize your, your potential over time if you really respect sleep over time. So I'll give you guys another minute, reflect over your week for the coaches, take notes of, and feel free to ask questions at the end on these different metrics. And then for the athletes, just write down where you sit at the end of the presentation. You should have a good idea of how's your lifestyle looking, how's your current fit, and then you can ultimately prioritize where you need to spend more time and, and what areas are you doing really, really well.